Welcome to the Connects Benefit Connection podcast number 11. Today, we'll be talking about uh, prior authorization, um, specifically, why simplify prior authorization? And this is a bit of a presentation preview for our upcoming November 26 Benefits Breakfast Club session. My name is Denise Balsh, and I'm the president of Connects Health, and I'll be the host and uh, also a bit of a participant for this particular podcast. Today, we'll be discussing prior authorization with Bev Herzig, pharmacist and director at the Pangea Group. Bev worked as a community pharmacist and then as a long-term care pharmacist over the first couple of decades of her career and has been a director at the Pangea Group for the last 10 years. Bev's expertise extends across a broad variety of topics important to the pharmaceutical industry, pharmacy, patients and payers, including biologics and biosimilars. Bev's work focuses on helping clients integrate landscape knowledge to enable better decision-making in the context of our evolving healthcare landscape. And as I mentioned earlier, today we'll be discussing prior authorization and touching on some of the important issues around prior auth that uh, we'll be addressing in further detail at the upcoming BBC session. Um, But before we get into that, I'd like to ask Bev to explain how she came to leave community pharmacy and join the Pangea Group. Well, thanks, Denise. It's it's a good question. There's a little story behind it. The truth of it is that I I really did enjoy working as a pharmacist. I I was one of those people who was very satisfied by developing relationships with patients and doing what I knew to be the good work of pharmacy. So um, it was actually kind of hard for me to leave uh, that work. But I guess on the other side of it, I had been doing it for well over 20 years. I was, you know, a bit fatigued. I was thinking, mm, is this what I'll be doing till I retire? Many pharmacists do, and many of them love it. Um, but anyway, through a series of events, I happened to meet up with Joe Knott, who is the the uh, owner of the Pangea Group. And uh, right around that time, Bill 102 uh, was tabled in Ontario. And for those of you who are too young to remember or, or too young to even know and others who have forgotten, Bill 102 is really that bill that the Ontario government brought into place. Uh, I think it was back in, yeah, it would have been around 2000, um, that took a, a big uh, slice out of generic pricing and also removed uh, the payment of rebates or professional allowances from the generic industry into pharmacy. So this was, uh, this was coming and it was, it was clearly going to foundationally change the business model for pharmacy. And, and I thought, you know, maybe this is a time to make the move and the opportunity came up. And so I did join uh, the consulting firm. And, you know, at the time I'll say it was a very steep learning curve for me. I was really, my training was as a pharmacist, but uh, I do have a lot of curiosity and I was, you know, interested to learn. And my goodness, I have to say that it really did open my eyes up to that bigger ecosystem of which pharmacy is a part. And so, uh, yeah, that's, it's, it's a, it's very interesting work because it covers a lot of different areas within uh, pharmacy and the pharmaceutical industry. So I've come to really, really enjoy it very much. Yeah, I think that's a very interesting observation, and and I come at it kind of from the opposite side because my background for thirty odd years has been employee benefits. And when in actually two thousand I launched my own consulting business, it was really with a view to uh, a burgeoning interest in um, some of the other aspects that were impacting um, healthcare in Canada, both on the public and private side, 
but also some of the, the other stakeholders that go to delivering uh, private health care um, and funding that and uh, creating solutions. So uh, we kind of come at it from different angles, but uh, um, both with curiosity, I think that's one thing, having worked together over the last number of months, uh, that's one thing that we definitely share in common. For sure. Um, yeah. Today, today, what we're here to talk about is prior authorization. And uh, it's been in the news recently. Um, but before we get into to the recent news announcement uh, last week, the press release um, from uh, TELUS, Canada Life and Inamar, um, I'd like to ask what you'd like to share about the reasons behind the white paper research um, that we'll be talking a little bit more about next week. Well, it's a great question. And I think, you know, even in our own research, we heard directly from some of our interviewees that when prior authorization really began, it was, um, you know, applied to a few molecules and the intent was to um, address high cost medications. Now, you and I and everybody listening, I'm sure is aware that we're in a time now where we've got more and more very high cost and very niche and, and, you know, personalized medicines coming to the market. So in a really relatively short time, prior authorization has grown uh, phenomenally to manage uh, the high cost use or the use, pardon me, of high cost medications. And I think it's evolved even beyond that now. And to some degree, it's being utilized to manage, manage prescribing. And so it's, it's become a bit of a bigger beast than perhaps was initially intended. And I think it kind of grew organically, perhaps without, you know, a clear set of objectives and maybe guiding principles behind it at the outset. And ultimately what's happening here is that prior authorization, however it's evolved to be what it is today, uh, is having significant impact in a couple of places. So one of them being in the front lines where care is being administered either by physicians or pharmacists or others involved in that circle of care who need to meet the requirements of prior authorization. And it's also having significant impact, we heard very clearly, on patients themselves who um, perhaps without understanding all the reasons for prior authorization are left to see it as something that's an additional barrier to, to a treatment that's been prescribed for them and sometimes are subject to significant delays in treatment because of the processes that have to happen behind it. And all that said, one of the other things about prior authorization is that the way it's set up today is quite inefficient. And uh, that affects everybody, including those who are implementing prior authorization. So, you know, there's there's room here to do some work to improve this within our ecosystem for sure. Thanks, Bev. Yes, um, just uh, uh, probably should have done a little bit of a background before we got into this. This is a white paper, uh, if people are not already aware, that you and I worked on collaboratively. Um, I think the, the back the background that we have uh, complemented each other uh, very nicely. And I think we went into this with some understanding of the complications um, of the process. That's why we were hired to do the paper in the first place. Um, and we were hired by Amgen Canada uh, to really look at the um, prior authorization process and um, where there were opportunities for improvement um, to really serve the best needs of patients. Um, and, but, but going into it was nothing like what happened once we got into it. And I think once we got into it, there were um, 
there were a whole bunch of additional learnings, I think, that both of us had, and there were quite a few aha moments. Would you agree? Oh, I have to agree with you. And, and you know, what came as we worked through it, what became clear were some real commonalities across different stakeholders in the landscape when it came to prior authorization. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah, and I think there were more commonalities than not. So it's true. It, it really, um, we'll talk about what that really um, led to um, as we uh, move forward in our discussion today. So, Bev, next I, I wanted to move over. I have a note here that I know you've seen. Uh, that we wanted to talk about the research more specifically that we conducted uh, in partnership uh, between our two firms. We, the complexities in prior authorization, um, you know, we knew something about them, we, but we didn't appreciate all of those complexities. And um, once those became clear, I think moving to the next step where we were talking about what the opportunities, because the white paper, when people do see the white paper, if they choose to download it, um, what we have things broken down into is, is um, challenges and opportunities kind of for each of the issues that we're addressing in the white paper. Um, but those opportunities, they became clear pretty quickly, didn't they? Once we sort of identified in more detail what the challenges were, uh, and the whole thing became kind of much easier. It almost took a, on a life of its own. Would you agree? Yeah, for sure. Indeed, those opportunities uh, did become quite obvious going through this. And what was interesting to me was that we we heard uh, very common messages from all of the stakeholders, you know, sometimes with different levels of priority, but um, including from insurers, that the system is inefficient, uh, that there's uncertainty about whether it's actually achieving the objectives that it was intended to achieve. And and really what we, what we came to or where we landed was that the whole process really needs to be based in a set of clear objectives. What are we looking to achieve through prior authorization? How do we make it uh, more efficient and more patient centric? And, you know, some of the, just one example of some of the messaging that we heard very loud and clear was about the transparency or lack thereof uh, in the prior authorization system. And I couldn't help myself as we were going through this thinking, you know, I can order a pizza at Domino's and, and on my device, I can know when it's going in the oven. I can know when it's being quality checked. I can know when it's in the car and when it's at my door, uh, those messages come in. And yet patients who are in some cases very, very sick, looking for life-changing or life-saving therapies, complete have their clinicians complete an application for prior authorization. And then there's a real challenge to know where is that application at, what is what are the steps in the process and when will I know whether or not I'm actually going to have access to this medication that my clinician feels is the right treatment for me? That has to be something that we can fix. And I think as a collective, what you and I heard is everybody's everybody's aligned that that needs to be improved. Uh, and so that that was, I think, really reassuring for us as we went through the process. Yes, and I think even more so because we were told by a couple of payers specifically that they were already looking at their own prior authorization process and ways to make it more efficient. So that was one of the right. things that yeah. really, yeah, that one it was one of the things that really goaded mm -hmm. goaded us on, as it were. Um, so one of the things that people might be asking asking themselves about as they listen to us uh, talk here today is that 
you know, we, uh, and they may have seen in the industry, we announced the Simply Prior Authorization Initiative. Um, we've got all our branding and all that kind of good stuff that people are going to be seeing next week. Um, and we announced that at the same time that the white paper was released. In fact, we even have branding in the white paper. Um, so can you talk to us uh, a little bit about why we made that decision? Sure. Sure. It's a good question. And I think, you know, we talked to it to this a little bit already, that the uh, challenges and, and the opportunity to make things better became clear and, and actually was consistent across everyone that we spoke to. But beyond that, we actually then uh, reached out and spoke to a number of experts, key opinion leaders and, and key stakeholders in the landscape who are very close and familiar to prior authorization. And, and what we heard was that our approach was good, that it was smart, that it was holistic. Um, we felt a lot of support from those that we were talking to around how to go forward on, on the process and really acknowledging that this was a bit of a lofty goal to try to bring about a holistic solution, one that would be bounded in, in solid guiding principles and require some independent oversight, hold people to a set of standards. You know, we knew that this would be a lofty goal, but we really couldn't see any reason to wait. Uh, we felt felt compelled by what we heard and what we learned from the research. And um, along the way, we certainly saw some support from the pharmaceutical industry uh, who supported the work and the effort for us to undertake this work to secure a multi-stakeholder group who would come to the table and collaborate with us on these solutions. And um, I think that's, uh, you've touched on an important point there because um, people may be wondering, because I did mention at the outset that the initial uh, support for the research um, uh, was um, from Amgen Canada, which everybody will know is a pharmaceutical company. Um, and since then, we have uh, gathered some additional financial support from a number of pharmaceutical companies uh, and manufacturers uh, in, in that operate in Canada. But I think that it's really important to stress that um, as you mentioned, this the objective is for this to be a multi-stakeholder initiative that will have benefits right across the landscape. So it, this is now no longer an Amgen initiative. This is a Connects Pangea, uh, Pangea initiative um, that we've been fortunate enough um, to be provided with some seed money from pharma to get started um, on uh, sort of the recommendate to act on the recommendations of the white paper, but that uh, what we've recommended in that white paper is that this initiative should be not only funded by uh, cross industry multi stakeholder um, collective, um, but that it also should be developed and it should find its legs through that process. So um, I just I know you've said it a couple of times, but I just wanted to make it really clear that this is not a pharma project. This is, we've got some seed money to get started. Um, this is a multi-stakeholder initiative um, that's really for the benefit of the industry um, and for the benefit specifically of patients um, to really address some of the opportunities and take advantage of them um, to improve the prior authorization process for really everybody, but particularly for patients. No, you're absolutely right. And, you know, the other beneficiary here will be the insurance industry itself, because uh, the systems that were or the, the solutions we're proposing here, of course, will bring about 
phenomenal efficiencies and uh, much better, more competitive offering in the landscape. So uh, yeah, you're right. Everybody, if this is done properly, everybody will benefit. Yes. And I think that's an important point you've touched on because from an insurer perspective, that was kind of the one thing that when we talked to our, um, you know, our, our key opinion leaders and our experts after we completed the white paper, um, one of the things that they said was, you know, if you're going to engage insurance companies in this process, which is obviously you have to do, that's a must, um, then what's in it for them? And I think the two things we'll be talking more about next week is um, that really we're looking at efficiencies. And anytime you know, an insurance company can improve their efficiency level on their administration side, um, I think that's a, it's a big plus for them. And it's a big plus for their clients who of course will benefit from lower administration fees. So I think improving that administration, which is very heavily manually based right now on prior authorization is a key, but also setting up those best practice guidelines. Um, I think that's kind of like the good housekeeping seal of prior authorization and having that uh, independent oversight agency that can help manage the overall prior authorization uh, environment. Um, without impeding on um, the payers or the insurers' uh, proprietary aspect of uh, claims adjudication. I think that that should be attractive um, and be of benefit um, to payers as well. Totally, totally agree, yep. So before we, uh, before we all take off this morning, uh, as we're recording this about a week or so before the Breakfast Club meeting, we have to uh, we have to address the elephant in the room, and um, we uh, announced the white paper and this initiative uh, towards the end of the first week in November, and then um, the second the beginning of the second week of November, which was just last week as we're speaking today, um, there was a, a press release from Telus Canada Life in Enmar uh, about their pilot in prior authorization. Um, so. The, from the press release, and we don't know a lot about it right now, but it seems like the two initiatives are taking a very different approach. And we've been asked actually by a few stakeholders, well, you know, is this good for what you're doing or not? So maybe you can touch on, uh, make some comments on that. Well, for sure. I mean, the timing was interesting for sure. It was like, oh, look at somebody else is looking at this. And I have to say that that was a real validation of our findings, right? And I think uh, one of the things in that press release uh, uh, that is shared is that, you know, innovation is driven by necessity. And so certainly that's exactly what we found from our work, that something here has to change. So, um, you know, Clearly, the entire landscape, the whole ecosystem is seeing that there are issues with prior authorization. I would say they go beyond just the fact that uh, prior authorization is manual and that it should be electronic. Totally agree uh, with the uh, press release from TELUS and Canada Life in NMR that, you know, piloting an e-prior authorization, making it electronic is the way to go. We we're hoping, well, we will, that's our plan, is to also make it uh, an electronic-based process. Um, I think that we're looking to take it a little bit further than that and sort of set some of these, you know, we've alluded to them already in our discussion, set some of the guiding principles, have some standards or best practices that we um, that we ask the landscape to agree upon and meet, and then have some independent oversight so that we actually you know, hold people to those standards. Uh, this is really 
I think the best way to ensure that we actually do change how prior authorization is being handled in the country. So um, the, the approaches are a little bit different, but there's no question that the timing and, and that pilot is, is a, a total validation of what we found. And, you know, this is a competitive landscape. So it's likely that um, others in the landscape who are looking for solutions uh, will be intrigued by, well, we know already that there's interest in the process and the uh, procedures that we, we propose here. And ultimately we wanna make this system better for everybody, but also one that is patient centric and keeps the needs of our, our patients and our plant sponsors, employees, uh, keeps those front and center going forward. Absolutely, Bev. Yeah, absolutely. No, I think, um, you know, it's it's really something that you and I have been deeply embedded in uh, for the last number of months. So sometimes it, you kind of have to get take your head out of the water and just uh, and and step back a little bit. And I think we've tried to do that on a fairly regular basis and certainly connecting with some of the industry leaders on this area, I think, has helped us a lot. Um we know that uh, people have looked at trying to simplify um, the prior authorization process in the past and haven't been successful. Um, we know there's been a lot of work done on the states and interestingly, the not-for-profit um, oversight model has worked well in the states. Um, so I think that we're, I, I think we're on the right path. I'm looking forward to you know, continuing our alliance together with the Connects and the Pangea Group and interested in, in, in engaging, you know, some of the folks that we've already spoken to and also some new partners and, um, and really heading down a path that uh, may be uh, not so frequently traveled, but uh, it was funny, I was, uh, I came across a quote and it's actually in the white paper. Um, then, you know, people have said to us, well, this is a pretty big objective, pretty big goal. And we go, yep, it is, uh, as you've mentioned. But uh, Nelson Mandela once said, it always seems impossible until it is done. So True. I think that's a, a good mantra um, to, to go by. Uh, and we certainly welcome input, uh, comments back on the white paper. And um, uh, people will be... Uh, able to learn more about this particular initiative, not only at the Breakfast Club next week, but there is a comprehensive uh, communication strategy that is currently being developed around this initiative. Um, so there will be articles, future podcasts, and uh, folks will be able to download the white paper. Um, we're actually developing our microsite right now under uh, simplifyprioroth.ca. That will be launching in December. Um, and our goal really is to keep the benefits industry and plan sponsors well-informed through, uh, through that uh, microsite and the press releases, articles, presentations, and podcasts like this as we move forward. And of course, if anybody would like to contact us directly, we're more than happy to kind of give them some updates. Um, Bev, I'd like to thank you very much for joining me today. Um, I'm looking forward to putting the finishing touches on our presentation for next week and um, uh, developing dialogue with those folks that will be on our session next week and continuing our work on the Simply Prior Authorization Initiative. So for those of you that would like to um, learn more and register for next week's Benefits Breakfast Club session, where we'll be taking a deeper dive um, on the impact of prior authorization um, particularly, we'll be looking at some new developments in cancer, 
um, with Dr. Mark Vincent, who's a medical oncologist at London Health Sciences Center. Um, he's, uh, he faces uh, prior authorization challenges lots uh, with some of the new oral and immunotherapies uh, that are available to cancer patients that aren't yet covered publicly. So he'll be speaking to some of his challenges, um, meeting his patients' needs. And also Alan Birch, who's a drug access facilitator at the Cancer Care Program at North York General Hospital and the founder of Drug Access Canada. Um, you can find out more about Drug Access Canada at drugaccess.ca. And you can register for next week's morning session um, through the link at connectshc.com, our website. And uh, certainly um, feel free to contact uh, Bev and myself with any further questions or comments you have. Thanks for tuning into this podcast. And we look forward to hopefully seeing many of you next week at the Benefits Breakfast Club session, our, our webinar. Thank you. Thanks, Denise.